Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who put the fine and fine woodworking. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it is Wood Talk number 339 for November 28th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about when to use your air cleaner, tensioning a bandsaw blade, and planing a glue-up carcass. Or a glued, is that a glue-up carcass or a glued-up carcass? I don't speak no English. Okay, <laughs> work on that for me. Let me know later. Let's move on. See. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash woodtalk and you can help us out like these fine folks did. Jim Gavix, Dane Christensen, New England Woodworking Studio, Scott McClary, uh, Glenn Vassner, Robert Green, and Angelo Susi. Thank you so much, folks. And uh, remember, if you hit that $4 pledge amount, you get the email extra every single week. And that's where we record an extra uh, email answer. Three of us kind of chip in to, to talk about it, just like one of the regular emails we do in the show. But you get an extra one. It's just more uh, more woodworking goodness for your ear More holes. better. It is more better for sure. So that's at patreon.com slash woodtalk. And let's move into what's on the bench. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. I like light, fellas. And I like nope. lots of it. Nope, nope. I like big lights and I cannot lie. Uh, so uh, Andy Klein came over because, you know, he lives in the area. And uh, I figured, uh, come on over. Let's talk. Let's hang out. Uh, let's do some manly stuff in the garage, like work out with their shirts off. That didn't happen. Um, so we just basically, uh, he, Disappointing. he not going to talk about what we did. It's very private information. Um, <laughs> but he actually came up with a great suggestion. I don't have my led lights like set up yet. I have like, I have a, come up exactly with what the product is I want to use, where I want to have them installed. So I'm not a hundred percent with that, but in the meantime, it would be nice to have more than just the four light bulbs that are in the ceiling just to kind of help me along. And he suggested these very powerful high output LEDs that are still very low wattage, but they put out so many lumens, like so many more than you would expect from any single bulb solution. Uh, so I went to Home Depot and sure enough, they had them there. And I believe each one is like 4,000 lumens and it just screws into a regular bulb socket. And this thing is throwing out some intense light. So I replaced all four of them uh, with, with those bulbs. And as a temporary solution, it's actually you know, makes the space much more, um, tolerable. It's amazing how much I, you get used to good light. I put one of those in my laundry room. It's the, the only unfinished section of our basement okay. and it's just got the bare bulb in the, in the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I put one of those things in and it was like, <laughs> there needs to be like a sound effect when I turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, Oh my God, my yeah. eyes. It is intense. And the, the thing is though, because of the way it's like cylindrically shaped and the led strips are mounted, you know, vertically, uh, once it's screwed into the ceiling, the light just kind of shoots out in all directions out to the sides. So the walls and the, with a ceiling where it meets the walls are like as well lit as the lower sections of the walls. Uh, so it, it would be great if there were a way, you know, maybe just to put up some kind of an aluminum, um, you know, surround that would help reflect the light downwards a little bit, but for a temporary solution, it's fine, but it is an intense amount of light and makes a big improvement for something that's uh, you know, a temporary solution. So that worked out pretty well. well. Have you, have you seen the one um, Veritas or uh, technically, I guess it's Lee Valley pushed out, uh, a 
high-powered, high-lumen LED bulb with the reflective shroud. Oh. And it sold out in like 30 seconds. Oh, and no then it kidding. was like out of stock for a month. Yeah. Um, a couple of, of my apprentices bought them. And they're in kind of like no light at all, single overhead bulb mm-hmm. type situation and put them in. And they were just like, oh, my God, this is just amazing. Yeah. Well, I just found out that Rockler's now carrying it. So oh, it's no a kidding. standard bulb, but it comes with a built-in hmm. reflective shroud. Wow. So it does direct the light down. And I mean, I've only got really two data points, but I've got two folks that are just like, oh, my God, this is the best thing I ever did <laughs> yeah. for my shop. And just the fact that that sold out in like 30 seconds. Right. So, But the big um, question you is – at- Go ahead. Have you ever looked at the, um, is it just called big ass light? Uh, the, the, the brand, company that think, does big ass, ass fans, have, right? Yeah. they have big ass fans as well, right. but <laughs> those are, I think the same principle, but they're, um, more like a traditional fluorescent tube type mm-hmm. fixture, long fixture type thing. But I think it's the same, uh, technology behind the high output, high lumen yeah. LED. Yeah. And the big ass fans, big ass lights, those are like really awesome, but super expensive, like comparatively right. speaking. And again, this is just a temporary solution for me. So any money I spend right now, unless I could find another place to put that bulb is going to be kind of like a waste. Uh, you know what, you guys know what home Depot's return policy is. Cause it's like, <laughs> can I use yes. these things for a couple yeah, of weeks? Be like 60 days actually. <laughs> Like even used, can I bring them back? No questions asked. It's a light bulb. How do you know it's used? I don't know, Matt. I'm just being. I'm trying to be ethical here. <laughs> it's not. Oh, it's ethics. Yeah, now. ethics. Wow. When did we get there? I know we have Home Depot employees that listen to this show. Uh, yeah, let me know. So. If you mean, it could very well be within 30 days. I mean, even if it's a 30 day policy, I could probably I'll be done with these bulbs by that time. But it feels a little dirty. Like to be like, oh, here you can have these back now. I'm done. This is what you like? Do. What that I rent them? Long, you return those ones and you buy another set for another thirty days. Yeah, there you go. We just keep it rolling. <laughs> I like that idea. Well, dude, like totally unrelated to woodworking, but our Christmas tree just blew up, and like the LED lights, it's a pre lit one. LED lights just crapped out on us, and the tree's already up, and it's like. We don't have the money right now after just moving to go buy a new tree. So we remembered that we bought it from Costco like three years ago. And what did we do? We went to Costco, said, hey, this is a tree we bought a while back. Their policy is just so like whatever. They, they don't care. You bought it from them, they will replace it or give you a refund. So we got a full refund for it. And the tree is now cheaper. Like the comparable tree they sell now <laughs> is like 50 bucks cheaper. So I was able to buy a little sled for Mateo, <laughs> like a little, uh, you know, a pie and little things like that. Uh, but yeah, that, talk about a return policy. Like, that wait is, a minute, go back to the pie. Okay. I want to hear more about the pie. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about the pie while we're here. Costco pies, and I'm I'm talking specifically about the apple pie and the pumpkin pie. I don't. Those know are why. the ones that are like 18 inches across. They right? really are. They're huge. <laughs> I don't understand why Sam's Club pies are so much better than Costco pies. Mm. I trust me on that. If you have a membership to either one or the other, get the Sam's club version and then get the Costco version. And tell me which one you like better because Sam's club kicks their butts. I don't know why that is. Okay. So anyway, that sounds like a perfect topic for a weekend show. It really does. Our favorite pies, pies our favorite pies and where to get them. <laughs> We're just going to sit around <laughs> on the cam and, and just eat pie. I like know. that. It's going to be a more visual <laughs> show, but there'll be like <laughs> snacking and yeah, there'll be some good audio eating sounds. Everyone loves hearing the sound of eating. Close and up grape sodas and, and drinking grape soda. Yeah. Uh, so very quickly, just to finish off here, I did make a decision about the heating solution after going through like forced air drum, and drum roll. Yeah. And, and radiant heating and all these different things. The path of least resistance for me right now is to install. Body heat. Yes. Is to rub my body up against all of the tools until things warm up uh, is to use the mini split that I ripped out of the wall and took with me. That's sitting in my backyard oh, yeah. right now. Right. Like why not just do you. that? So the disadvantage with that is that the compressor has to be installed in a place that I would consider not ideal. And that's part of the problem. But after going through the, the like series of decisions around all the other types of heating solutions and the compromises I'd have to make, and also the cost, I decided this was the way to go. By the way, let's talk money. One of those forced air heaters with a sealed combustion chamber or whatever it's called so that it's always getting uh, fresh air intake and not taking in dust installation for that at least the one bid that I got is going to cost about $6,000. Whoa. What? How's that, how's that what? float your boat? What are they doing for $6,000? Plating it with gold, apparently. I hope so. 
and it's going to blow out gold dust all over the shop. Six thousand. Six thousand dollars. And I don't, I don't like, I didn't really even dig into it to be like, whoa, why, why guys, why? Mm -hmm. Like what's going on here? But the same company says $1,500 to do the installation on the mini split that I already have, which seems very fair to me, (laughs) you know? So I don't, I'm, I'm a little bit confused. Oh man. <laughs> but since I, I moved away from the forced air solution <laughs> and to the mini split, uh, I've, I'm okay with just like, let's not investigate that. Let's pretend that bid never even occurred. Cause that's insane. <laughs> that is crazy. I don't know what they would. Well, the only thing they, maybe like your, is your roof made of like titanium? They got to drill a hole in it. No, my guess is a <laughs> lot of this, a, while? a lot of this comes down to, um, where my gas line is and what they'd have to do to like tie into that. Uh, although he wasn't really hundred percent sure. And we were going to have to bring in a plumber to deal with it anyway. So I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know. And I don't care because I need to, that might have, that might have been one of those bids where like, I just throw a ridiculous number out there. So he doesn't hire me. It's the, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, woodworkers do it all the time, right? It's the job. You don't want. Those. Yeah. I don't want this. So I'm going to bid high because I know I won't get it. And if I have to do it, at least I'm being well paid. And that never works out because you hate doing the job anyway. Yeah. So, so that's that. That's where I'm at with that. You know know what I wonder is, um, cause I, I popped in and watched a little bit of your Friday live thing and I just uh had to laugh because Nicole was cold the whole time. Yeah, she was. (laughs) What it was. But, um, the, it's so funny because it seems like you're, you've used like temporary and bandaid solutions several times in what you're doing with your shop. And I just wonder if your old shop has you totally spoiled to the point where like, I'm going to do this temporary solution because ultimately I want to do this. And you know, the rest of us schlubs without the Honda money would be like, (laughs) you know, Hey, that's the perfect solution. That's the end solution. But that's actually Mark's temporary solution. I think, I think the old shop spoiled you. I think uh, it ruined you. I, I don't know. I mean, my only temporary solution right now is those lights. And if you've got light fixtures in the ceiling and you want to pop in a bulb and be happy with that, that's fine. But if I were really like, if I wanted to do a more longer term solution, I could probably, especially in the long run, save money and get better results by just getting like a two by four troffer, installing that in each one of those locations. So there's four of those that would give me a pretty decent amount of light. But yeah, I, I do have, you know, much higher requirements of the light. So I have to wait until I can afford to put more lights in than the average person might need. But that's really the only temporary thing. I mean, really the heating solution, you know, I feel like we're doing a total single topic show here. Um, the mini split solution, as I understand it may have trouble in the lower temperature days. Like if it's, you know, minus 10, minus 20 or something, uh, the heat pump may not work so well. So I do think I'm probably going to need to get some kind of supplementary heating, but it doesn't necessarily need to be a full on, you know, ceiling mounted, um, you know, gas, natural gas type deal. It could just be some sort of an electrical unit, um, to help kind of boost the heat in there and make it workable. But I don't know. You you do realize you didn't move like to Matt's neighborhood, right? You're in Colorado. <laughs> Minus 10. Hey, what are they telling you? The HVAC guy said once in a while, we will get days that are really cold like that. And I'm going to take his word for it. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, but they're uh, trying to scare the Arizona people. Frankly, they're, it's too late. I'm already living late. here. <laughs> You're not going to scare me away at this point. I'm kind of locked in, but you know, it's, it is, I think it highlights a good point is that there are so many different ways to do these things, whether it's lighting, heating, air conditioning, flooring, like there's so many different uh, ways to approach it, what climate you're in makes a big difference and, and locking these things down when you really just have to make a choice that's right for you. You know, that's actually a really tricky thing. And it may, and, and that's probably why I'm flip-flopping so much is because I'm getting feedback from every possible direction from people all over the country that are like, have you tried this? Have you thought of this? Why don't you do this? Hey, do this. And it's, it's confusing as hell, you know? So you're trying to just kind of narrow it down to something <clears> that makes sense. And ultimately I just need to move forward. I need to get this right. shop ready to work. And that's why sometimes what seems like a temporary solution becomes the, the best because it's actually the, the low hanging fruit. It's the easiest solution that gets me back to work the, the fastest. Right. I think that's the tough part is, you know, that like, eh, this is not really what I want, but <laughs> dang it. I need to cut some wood right now. Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. I mean the, the radiant in-floor heating best solution possible. In my opinion, it would be so great, nice, even heating, but the way to get that done is something I don't know that I have the time or the ability to accomplish in terms of getting my tools out, getting the floor built, having the people come in, getting power run in there as well. Like there's, there's too many variables and ultimately I just need to work. So yeah, it'll be an adventure. Uh, but enough about me Mm. talked about that far too long. Um, Matt, 
Anything besides the bandsaw? Can we just move on, or do we have to talk about it? We don't talk about anything. It's the same as always over here. <laughs> Not Bill to cut you short, Bill considering I went so long, but uh, you know. The oh. irony is, is honestly, it's one of the coolest projects that I've yet to be to see, yet to see built. You know, the yeah. the guy's building a full size bandsaw mill, and we're bored with it now. Right? Like, <laughs> What's next? Whatever. What's your next oh, trick, Matt? Don't worry, I'm I'm bored of it too. <laughs> I'm the one doing it. Yeah. <laughs> It's getting bad, but at this point, though, I hope I have it turned on this week sometime. Maybe this weekend, but nice. everything's here. All I have to do is make some guards for it so I don't kill myself. Good deal. And I can turn it on. So we're there now, finally. So it doesn't have saw stop technology? It has. It, you know, I mean, you'll be dead, probably. Okay. And then, so, then will, I mean, something will stop, either your heartbeat <laughs> or the saw. One or the other. Uh, yeah. Gosh, that scary blade. It's. Uh, I think. It's I just think we big. need to start spreading that rumor that Matt has put sauce up technology in it so that he gets a visit from a lawyer. From what's yeah. his name's lawyer? I think you would get a letter. <laughs> a letter very quickly. Yes. About that one. What are you doing? Go All right. Well, Shannon. then I'll go. Go, Shannon. Go, go ahead. I, I've been doing uh, bunches and bunches of demonstrations for the hand tool school lately, and. I keep grabbing scrap pieces and I'll cut a tenant on this and then I'll dovetail together these two boards and then I'll do a cope and stick kind of frame and panel doors, another demonstration. And I have all these like parts floating around the shop. So I did another uh, demonstration this weekend at a, a live session. It ended up with a board was all plain flat and had a dado in it for a shelf and actually a shelf that fit it. I started thinking, how can I take all these parts and actually make something from it? I mean, I have a full door, <laughs> framing panel door. Um, like for a cabinet size thing, just leaning against the wall in my shop where I did a, a demonstration on raised panels and then mm-hmm. a demonstration on like cope and stick style joinery. Now I've got this case side with a dado in it. Now I've got a case bottom inside that have been dovetailed together. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to build like the biggest like quilted project you've ever seen. And it's going to have like 12 different species in it. And it's going to be the ugliest thing you've ever seen, but at least I'll have done something with these pieces because they're literally taking up space in the shop right now. It's almost like the four legged table where there's like four different style. Oh legs. yeah. Yeah. You know, exactly like that. Or, or the, the seven legged table. Cause you had three extra. So why not? <laughs> More is better. I think. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's just funny because I keep looking around and there's stuff like taking up space and I hate to just get rid of it because like I have extra table legs floating around like from way, way back, like the very first woodworkers fighting cancer build that shaker table. Mm -hmm. I built that queen Anne table. I have three offset turned queen Anne legs from practice pieces. And it's like, I shouldn't get rid of them. I should build something with them. So what I need to do is build like a three legged queen Anne table. There you go. Oh, that could look interesting. just need to take some time off and just build projects from what the, the stuff I have lying around. Yeah. Not a bad idea. I need to do It'll that. It'll be too. ugly. <laughs> it could be, you know, but if, if it's a fun learning lesson, then why not? Uh, amount of stain. Yes. That'll be good. Uh, let's move into what's new and got a couple different things here. Let's see. First one is from James. He wrote in and says, you have to see the self propelled track saw. And it's a core 77 article about the Mafel. Uh, self-propelled dealy that kind of just it's a track saw that moves itself and i just wanted to point out this article was from 2013 and if you go all the way back to 2011 i have an article on the wood whisperer called hands-free woodworking and it shows the same exact thing so you know it's my way of saying it's old news but uh you know of course 77 posted it that it's new yeah what's old is new again i feel like we talked about this on this show too yes and i can hear matt vanderlis now saying how that way he could go and sit down Right. And let the saw do the work for him. Yes. He could go and have a snack while the saw would do do the work for him. Yes, precisely. Okay. This next one comes from Russell. He says, you ever get the feeling that creating sawdust or wood chips is inefficient? And that if you had a good enough plane, you could actually make your own designer toilet paper with immaculate sheets of thousands of an inch thick wood. Me neither. But as... As is the norm with our time, here's another solution to a problem that never existed. So he's linking to the Marunaka Super Surfacer. And I have never seen a machine like this before. Mm-mm. The blade, as far as I can tell, it, it's a, it's like a joiner. 
there's a spindle that's spinning, but the spindle sits on a turntable. So the turntable can be rotated to create a skew angle. Um, but it's creating, no, it must not spin. It can't spin. It's like a, mm. it's almost like a peeler because it's actually creating a shaving. So imagine a, a thickness planer. Yeah, exactly. It's a mandolin, um, <laughs> but not for carrots. <laughs> um, it, it's, it looks like a thickness planer in the fact that you're sliding into something, you know, that's got a top and a bottom to it. Um, and you can change the skew angle of the blade, but it like spits out toilet paper basically <laughs> off the side. It's to me, we have enough of a problem, like obsessing over our shavings. Like, Ooh, look how gossamer thin that shaving is. This machine would just do that like on overdrive. Cause you just be like playing with the, like the bounty paper towel that comes out the bottom. Cause right. the guy's running, like it looks like eight to 10 inch wide boards across this thing, if not wider. Mm-hmm. And it's producing one solid shaving. So it's like one of those like Japanese planing contests. You always, every like couple of weeks, somebody goes, have you yeah. seen this? Oh my God. You know, but it's that, but a powered version of it. So, so yeah. were you able to gather like, what is the practical application of this? Why was this machine invented? The sales video is saying save time and don't sand anymore. Like it creates a finish ready surface. Hmm. So, I mean, it's the same thing that like the, the hand tool snobs, always say, well, I don't own any sandpaper. I'm, yeah. I'm putting myself into that camp. So this way. is the power tool yeah. answer to that claim of like the sliced right. grain finishes Which is better. Real irony. Now that you think about it, because yeah. now all the hand tool guys are like, well, I get a better finish off the hand plane. Now this guy's like, okay, well I get the same finish and I do it that fast. Now <laughs> there, take that. <laughs> it just yeah, takes me so, 20 times as long to get my board perfectly milled so that it works in this machine. Right. Yeah. Well, there, <laughs> you know? there is that. Well, that and the fact that, you know, if you're going to surface, if, you, if you're using this truly as like the finish sander before you apply finish, you got to make sure that you can run all your parts through there. Yeah. You know, but it, like the, but, the thing that spits out the side, that gossamer giant toilet paper shaving is so amazing. It almost feels like the point of this tool is to make that as a product for yeah. something. It does. You know, like that seems like your finished product, not the wood that's in the machine. Right. Which is, again, like I said, it goes back to, you know, people who are taking photographs of their gossamer thin shavings. Look what I created. Right. Like, well, what does the project board look like? Yeah. The actual board that matters. How's that doing? <laughs> let's let's. And I've done it. I've taken pictures of shavings because shavings are cool. And that big shaving that comes out of this thing is really cool. But yeah. It's, yeah, anytime I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see a, a bucket of shavings, it's usually a Shannon post somewhere. <laughs> it's like, oh, yep, Shannon's planing again. Uh, <laughs> All right, okay. good stuff. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our kickbacks. This is where you guys give us some feedback on things we talked about in the past. Uh, Jay on the website wrote in and he says, if you shop on Amazon, there's a browser plugin. I guess this is related to our uh, Black Friday conversation. A plugin called Camel, Camel, Camel. And that's at camelcamelcamel.com. It's a great name. That gets you price information. Just go to the item that you desire on Amazon and then click the camel plugin and it shows you the price history from Amazon and others. And you could put in a price alert so that when the item goes on sale for a price that you want to buy it, then you can get an email. So that's kind of cool for just, you know, sort of keeping an eye on uh, products or just waiting for the price to go down or looking at the history uh, to see if it goes up and down at certain times. Kind of give you some insights on that so you could be a smarter shopper. And have a hell of a name for plugin. Camel, camel, camel. <laughs> camel, camel, camel. I like that. Gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> this next one is from Kyle. It says he was listening to the show and heard Matt was having some issues setting up his VFDs and getting them working. I'm an electrical technician and I still set up and troubleshoot VFDs on a consistent basis. So Matt, if you want slash need some help setting up your VFDs, feel free to send me an email. I'll be glad to help. Well, thank you. Hmm. Although I'm kind of out of the woods at this point, I hope. We'll Unless find I'm out. Won't we show up late to the game, Kyle? Good job, Kyle. <laughs> there could be a last-minute disaster, Matt. You never know. Oh, I'm sure there will be. Don't worry. Don't worry. Now that you said it. There will be. <laughs> I'm hoping, at least. Uh, <laughs> he goes on to say, you probably already know this, but well, the most important thing to be aware of when running a VFD and single-phase power is that the VFD needs to be rated for twice the rating of the motor you intend to be using it with unless the VFD is specifically designed for single-phase input. Hmm. Boom. Do you know that? Hmm. There's no. a duration thing with it, yeah. Interesting. You lost me on the whole motor thing. I'm confused. Motor spins things? What? 
I know, right? Kind of like that trial thing. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, VFD. That's a type of barbecue sauce, right? That's I don't know. I Every time I hear it, I think BVD, and then I think of old men in underwear. And it all goes out the window. <laughs> wow. And now that's what I'm thinking. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Uh, all right. Uh, let's get into our voicemail. Here's the deal. We've got a few. And I didn't preview them. So I hope they're not terrible. Let's, uh, let's see what they are. Hey, guys. This is Nate calling from California. And I have a finishing question. I made a, a very simple coffee table out of ash. And I think partly because I use some flats on boards and partly just because ash is really light, it kind of looks like a cheap pine Ikea coffee table, which makes me sad. And my wife and I both think it looks kind of crappy. So I used uh, Minwax Antique Oil, which is a wiping varnish. I forget what solvent's in there, but it is not water-based. So it was pretty much a clear varnish that's on there. And I'd like to darken it somehow with some kind of semi-opaque something to go over the top of that. Uh, I don't have a sprayer. I just either wipe or brush things on and, and I'll, um, you know, sand or steel wool and wax afterwards is fine. Uh, I'm not too finicky about this finish. I would just like to get it a little darker and make the ash look not uh, so light and cheap Ikea pine-like. Um, thanks. Great show. See ya. Hmm. That's always one of the trickier things. If you're trying to change the color and you're dealing with oil-based products, it's not quite as easy as your water-based, your alcohol-based, and, you know, lacquer-based materials. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is a product that gets a lot of crap on the market, and that's poly shades. Have you guys Mm. ever used that or heard Mm. about it? Sure. I've heard about it. Yeah, so basically, it's like like your stain and your finish in one, uh, your top coat in one. So that might be where you're going with this, and and probably what you have to do if you're going to create your own is basically make something like that. So you would have to find an oil-based pigment that would go into your finish and wipe on a coat or two of that, and it might darken it up a little bit. Um, but you also may, you know, take a piece of scrap, try this polish shade stuff. I know some people have had success with it. Other people like rail against it, um, but it might be worth looking into because ultimately oil-based is is going to be problematic. You definitely have to have the right kind of materials for it to work. Uh, the finish he's already put on there has sealed the surface. Um, so mm-hmm. you can't exactly use like a dye or something like that. It w- might not work that well. Also consider a gel stain. A gel stain might be a good option at this point on a sealed surface. You can get a little bit of a darker color and then proceed with another coat of your finish. Uh, Right, you're essentially putting the pigment into the finish now rather than having it go into the wood and finish over top of it. And I think that's what poly shades is too. Yep. It's like paint, essentially. Yeah, because ultimately that ship has sailed. Uh, Once the wood is sealed, now you're just Mm -hmm. dealing with like pigments that are sitting in the finish layer. Yeah. Maybe a glaze could be enough to glaze. darken it overall. <laughs> yeah, or just a good thing to put on donuts. That's right. Yeah. Well, and you know good what? Ham. The, the um, gel stain sort of acts a lot like a glaze once you're putting that mm-hmm. over top of a surface that's been sealed. You know, so that, that kind of accomplishes something very similar. But yeah, glazes would be a great thing to look well, into. The good news is it's a coffee table, right? So that means there's an underside of the top. So take that top off and go to town. See what you like, you know, and the only people who know will be the archaeologist who digs it up in a hundred years. That's right. Good suggestion. All right. uh, Let's see what this next one is. Hi guys. This is Jay down in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, My question is uh, basically how do I resaw a uh, large board, something that's over six inches when my capacity in my bandsaw is only six inches and I don't have uh, a larger capacity or access to a larger capacity bandsaw. So what would be the best way to resaw a board that I need that's larger than six inches? Thank you. All right. Well, we know Shannon's going to have some stupid hand tool answers. <laughs> I, I somehow get the feeling he doesn't want to hear from me on this. I don't know. There's nothing overt. I just have a gut feeling. Uh, so, Matt, what might you do in this situation? I don't know. You'd build a bandsaw mill. There you go. Oh, that's it. Just so a month, build, a month or two later, bandsaw. he'd be ready to go. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But no, for real, though, I'm going to be resawing on the bandsaw mill. And that's it from like now on, I think. Okay. That's, that's good. So what about this guy? No advice for him? No help? Nothing? I mean, it's really, he's limited, right? I mean, your bandsaw is going to yeah. give you probably your highest capacity. You can't just say, well, 
use the table saw, you know, make that, that whole cut from each side or from each end thing. And probably close to the same though, with the cut capacity. Yeah. Three inches from both sides. But yeah. And I feel like that's still not going to be enough to, to do what he needs to do. So, I mean, what other than a hand tool or finding someone who has a bigger bandsaw, what option is there? Is, is there an option? I mean, you can do the, you can do the table saw thing from both sides and then handsaw the center a little bit in the middle. So if it's like seven inches, then you're only handsawing one inch. I guess it just just depends on how, how ultimately how wide this thing is. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly an option. Yeah. But I mean, if you're that, that table saw thing always scared me a little bit just because you're burying so much (laughs) of the blade in there, but you know, with proper, um, anti-kickback stuff in place, you can still get like a three inch deep cut. Um, so if you're resawing, he never did say what he was actually resawing, but it was more than six inches. So, you know, if it's a 10 inch board, you've got a four inch section in the middle and a handsaw is going to follow that. Mm -hmm. Um, if for no other reason, the fact that the handsaw is going to have a much smaller kerf than what your table saw just created, because I probably wouldn't recommend using a thin kerf blade for that deep cut like that. Um, so you've got some pretty big curves on either side. A handsaw will follow that, even a cheap, you know, Stanley Fat Max impulse hardened thing you picked up at, at Lowe's or Home Depot will do it. Mm-hmm. And then you just gotta, you know, plane down that ridge in the middle. So you've got four you still got four inches of wood in there, which is it's hard work if you don't have the right saw. Well, I was also um, gonna say like but the, it will get you there. The thing that sucks about this is once you do that resawing a board of that dimension, you kind of don't necessarily know what it's going to do once you release the yeah. pressure. Mm-hmm. So after oh, all that work, he may wind up with something that, that is bent and warped out of shape and just needs to be remilled to the point of like, you know, you joint it down to oblivion because it's, <laughs> it's so twisted. Like you don't know until you've released it and you've done all of that, you know, manual labor. But if, if you, you know, if you know, it's a stable board and you got to do it, at least, at least there's a way. Uh, all right. We got one more here. That was two that were actually really good. No surprises. So let's hope this isn't like someone's doctor's office calling the wrong number. I hope it's AJ. Hey, guys. This is Jason down in Apple Valley, Minnesota. Hey. Matt Corona's territory, sort of. Ah, <laughs> uh, I thought you <laughs> might like to his own joke. What is he, Cremona? And that is I'm uh, making a divot on my shop stool rather than my couch. I'm going to crank out 10 end grain cutting boards of, uh, of Mark's design there mm. to give away as Christmas presents. So, um, obviously I didn't take advantage of any black Friday deals to come up with, uh, I don't know how many board feet of purple heart and hard maple I had to dig up, but, uh, yeah, no, this is going to be a busy, but enjoyable weekend. So anyway, have fun on your couches. Bye. Well, thanks very much for that. So that wasn't a qu- we didn't miss a question, did we? <laughs> no, no. You just call in to so. say hi. Just call to hang out. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's always well, nice. Th- there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, well, if you want to leave us a voicemail, just like those fine folks did, uh, you can call us right on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online, or you can use a phone number six two three two four two five one eight zero, and we will play that thing on the show, yo. All right, let's get yo, into yo, yo. emails. Uh, let's see. First one here is from Dave. He says, I've heard that air cleaners kick up a lot of dust themselves that would otherwise not be moving around in the air, so they are best used after you leave the shop rather than while you're working in there. I like leaving mine on, and excuse me, though, because it seems to make the air cleaner. I'm having real trouble with this writing. (laughs) To make the air cleaner, letting me take my mask off sooner. But obviously, you can't see the smallest particles. And he's talking to me specifically. Did you ever look into this when you still had a shop and an air filter in working order? And he, I, I guess I cut off the part of the email where he talked about the um, Dylos air monitor that I use. So he's particularly uh-huh. and specifically asking if I've used it in the shop and determine, you know, how this situation might play out. Now, this, this might vary depending on your setup. All right. And I can only tell you what worked in my previous shop. I haven't done anything here to, to give you any feedback on that. But I actually discovered that it, it, it is something of a misconception that the general rule of thumb, it's kind of funny because if you get in the air cleaners, most people initially think, leave them on all the time, leave them in, you know, while you're working, it filters the air. Then you go online and you go, oh, I misunderstood how this works. Everyone says I should be taking, uh, you know, basically putting this on only after I leave the shop. I've been, you know, there's that initial misconception. And I'm here to say that that initial misconception is probably correct. 
I think from my experience, it's best to leave that thing on. And the oh, job okay. of that, what's that? It's like you, you lost me there. It was like I really made that more confusing than <laughs> that it needed to be. misconception is correct. <laughs> what? The, so what now? The first person that comes along and says, Wait. I'm going to keep it on all the time, I think is correct. Okay, Thank so you. what about the hanging chads now? <laughs> yes. So uh, I'm just trying to make this as hard as possible for people. That was very clear. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, let, let's back it up. What I'm saying is that if you have an air cleaner, that I think it actually is better to keep that thing on even while you're in the shop. All right, so the air cleaner does do what he's saying. It does kind of circulate the air. That's its job is to move that air around and then filter what is coming into it to blow out fresh, clean air. The thing is, people are concerned that if you keep that on, it's going to keep stirring up dust continually so that as you're walking around, you're now breathing that stuff. I think part of the strategy that makes this work well for me uh, to keep it on while I'm in the shop is the fact that I do wear a respirator. So if I finished working, I don't just take my respirator right off, regardless of an air cleaner. Um, You got to keep that thing on because the dust doesn't just disappear because you turned a tool off, right? So I keep it on for five, you know, five minutes or so. If the air cleaner is running in that time, and if the air cleaner is sized appropriately for the space, it will exchange the air fairly quickly. And what I found with the actual meter, this is not me just guessing, this is looking at numbers on a digital display. I found out that after five or 10 minutes, once the tools are shut off and that air cleaner is on, the particulate count in the air of the most dangerous particles is down very, very low. And I highly recommend if that's if that is uh, something that can be consistent across from shop to shop. Again, there might be differences, but I think there's some good evidence here is that it actually is better for you to keep that on for a period of time, let it clean up the air and then take that mask off. Now, if you just, you know, never had a mask on in the first place, that few five, like I guess five or 10 minutes, that could very well be stirring up a lot of dust that you might not otherwise have breathed. I, I don't know for sure. But I do think it's better to turn it on, leave it on, let it clean the air. And then once the air is clean, you know, the bottom line is dust is either going to settle or it's going to get picked up. The thing doesn't blow quite as much air as people make it seem that it's just going to blow air off of the surfaces. It's not that right. strong of an air current, right? So mm-hmm. it's but circulating the, the, what's already the harmful airborne. stuff. The harmful stuff, it does. It creates a current, a circular current, and it kind of sucks the, the really, really small stuff into that vortex and yeah. pulls it out of the air. That's the stuff you really need to, to worry about. I think anything that it kicks up is going to be a higher, larger particle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not going to be as big of a, of a carcinogen or just respiratory issue. Yeah. But I think those, the, even those smaller particles, they filter out a lot faster than you might think, you know, and especially, and, and I'm looking at one unit in an 1800 square foot shop. That's not even ideally mounted. You know how they say to kind of mount it off to the side. Mine was mounted dead center. And I've taken readings at various places in the shop. And within five or 10 minutes, the shop was in great shape to take off a respirator. You know, so if you're in a smaller shop and you're using that same type of air cleaner, it's actually going to exchange that air multiple times, you know, over, over, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but it will exchange it multiple times over a short period of time. And that actually does clean the air. So in my opinion, I do think it's better to keep that thing on because that's just less stuff in the air grand total. Um, now, if you're wearing your respirator the whole time, I guess it doesn't really matter. Turn it on when you leave the shop because you have the respirator on while you're there. You have the protection you need. But if your goal is to take that thing off, then I think you need to run that air cleaner. And more to come on this as I get, you know, I, I have fun with that air cleaner and like learning <laughs> learning what happens when you open the windows and the doors versus just huh. leaving everything shut and turning on the air filter. Like how effective one is over the other is pretty neat. Um, I don't know if anyone cares that much about it, but I, I'd be more than happy to go into detail on some of my findings with that. It's just I one of those cool would. toys. It is a cool tool. A toy, not tool. Uh, it's, it's, it, it is one it's of those both. things that helps you micromanage to an extent, which can be bad. <laughs> you know, you're over yeah. analyzing this stuff, but you know, it lets me know. I, I, I'm trying to just, you've got a chart on the wall that yeah. shows that if I wait, three minutes and 18 seconds before I turn the air cleaner on, mm-hmm. it's 99% better. So you're yeah. sitting there with a stopwatch now. Okay. Right. Three minutes, 16, <laughs> three minutes, 17. Right. Ready? Go. Okay. Yep, we're good. Now, I, I have empirical evidence that says that this works well. I mean, if you think about it, all smells are particulate in nature. That's how we actually smell stuff. You're going to talk about farts. Think about that. Yeah, think about that the next time, <laughs> you know, the dog farts in the room. Um, but or like, anybody. if, if I'm working with like yellow cedar or white oak, um, they both have a very strong smell when they're sawn. 
And I'll turn on that air cleaner, and especially in my little shop, when I turn that jet thing on high, mm-hmm. it turns the air over like once a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But it will just suck the smell of the yellow cedar like out of the room because it's all those fine particles that are in the air. So anytime I start sawing, um, I'll turn the cleaner on. And usually I don't even notice the smell um, mm-hmm. because it just grabbed all those little particles and swept them away before they really got anywhere. Like a fart um, in the wind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty amazing. Well, and the other thing that, that I find compelling is like trying to decide whether it is better to keep the windows closed or if, you know, if you have garage doors or whatever uh, versus opening all the doors and windows and kind of letting natural air sort of push all the dust out of the shop. Like what's a more effective way to clean out the shop quickly and then what actually gets you down to like nearly zero particulate, you know, small particulate in, in the air. Uh, and, and I found that basically if you have a way to vent and get all that stuff out, that will do it quicker. It'll get you down to a certain point, but then it seems to hover at a certain number. And if you close from that point, if you close the windows and then turn on the air filter, then you get that number down to nearly zero. But if you kept your windows open, it will never go down to zero just because the outside air has a certain amount of stuff in it too, which is it's kind of an interesting mm. thing to think about. What you need is like a NASA grade vacuum pump. Yeah. Just suck all the air out of the shop. <laughs> Just know? make sure everything's bolted down before you do that. Yeah. Or better yet, build a shop around your shop and suck all the air out of that outer thing and then break the seal and all the air blows out into the outer area like yeah. an airlock or with an alien in it. Mm-hmm. And then you're good. Well, while we're talking about space, you may as well just build your shop next to a black hole. Tap a hole yeah. in the wall, suck everything yeah. out. The Hawking's energy can be terrible in the power bill. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Who's next? Okay. This next question, frankly, I picked it just because I wanted Mark to introduce who wrote in and, and left us this question. Okay. Is, uh, we're skipping because yours wasn't next. You can skip me. Welcome back to me. That's fine. Oh, okay, okay, so it's Arkadiusikowski. I love it. <laughs> That's close. Now that, now that Vanderlis <laughs> isn't here, we've got Mark to pronounce stuff for yep, us. Yep, so. I'm pretty good at it too. He is good. Anyway, um, so Arkadius or whatever <laughs> said, <laughs> there's, there's been a lot said about work holding on a workbench. What I often find awkward is planing or scraping glued up carcass. Carcasses is carcass eye. Carcass eye. Uh, <laughs> how do you hold those in place if they try to slide or tip over? Thanks for advice and an amazing podcast. So there are a couple things you can do here. If you have a carcass that um, has a hole in the middle, you know, you can actually loop over something. Um, I've actually looped it over my bench. So if you've got a larger carcass that I can actually fit around my bench, I'll actually go ahead and and do that and clamp it down to the bench itself. And the weight of the bench is providing me my planing stop so that I can actually plane across it. Now that only works if you've got like an open case or something that you can actually slot over it. Or if you have an open case, that's not quite big enough to slide over your workbench, take a board, clamp the board down to your workbench so that that board is hanging off your bench and then put the case over top of that board. Um, so now you've just created a stop um, that the case can now work up against. The other option is, frankly, if you get <clears throat> another, the biggest issue with a taller case and you're trying to plane on top of it, it's wanting to kind of tip over. So what I'll do is actually clamp something down to the bench that's close to as tall as my case. Um, you know, not as tall, so I'm not bumping into it. So you can grab yourself like a Rubbermaid tub or something like that that's, 24 inches high your case is 20 inches high and you just use that as your planing stop and work up against that so it doesn't slide around you can still use hold fast and stuff and like clamp the the bottom side of the case down to your bench just so it doesn't move around too much on you but ultimately you want support higher up so you're not stressing those joints as you're exerting force with the plane Mm -hmm. finally the last thing i do is put it on the floor and lean it up against the workbench legs and just use my workbench as a planing stop um you know, you have to move around so you're not actually planing into the leg, but it actually works really, really well that way. Nice. No, not for large casework really, but for drawers is one thing that I like about the split top Rubo is more often than not, I could usually get a drawer or something sort of finagled onto the end of the bench using the gap 
because uh, the mm-hmm. bench isn't, you know, it's like 11 inches uh, from front to back. Um, so usually a drawer or something, I can somehow get clamped in a position that makes it uh, really convenient. And, you know, small casework, but bigger casework, of course, you know, there's other, <laughs> got to do other things to accommodate that. But that's one of the things I like about the split top. Interesting point. All right. This next one comes from our buddy, Brian. He says, Hey, Mark, Matt and Shannon, hey. after watching Matt uncoil a 25 foot bandsaw blade, like it was, an, was like it was an anaconda. I realized I have a fear of snakes. Thanks, Matt. You are very welcome, Brian. Why did it have to answer the question? <laughs> but that also got me thinking, how do you tension a 25 foot bandsaw blade and do you have to worry about adjusting for drift when using it to saw huge logs? Thanks, Brian. Well, you tension it pretty much like you would with a um, bandsaw in your shop. You just apply force to that blade until it has enough tension on it to saw without deviating, essentially. Mm-hmm. Use Except a in this case, bandsaw wrench. <laughs> in this case, the bands actually take a lot more tension than your uh, bandsaw in your shop would. So one of the reasons most people will tell you to use a wider blade for like resawing, for instance, because there's more material there. It can take more tension and therefore have more beam strength and saw straighter. Same kind of concept applies with the bandsaw mill. You have a wider blade. In my case, it's inch and a half wide by 0.05 inches thick, I believe. And I think like a three-quarter inch resaw blade is like, what, 0.25 or something inches thick? I don't remember. I got to look it up. But it's thicker than you would have on a bandsaw in your shop, so it can take more tension. Uh, the blades that I'm using take, uh, I think, 25, not 25, 18,000 uh, PSI of tension uh, to run properly. 25 PSI. Yeah. 25 what could PSI? go wrong? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it, there will so not guys, be a disaster. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> so with the way that I'm going to be doing that is with a hydraulic ram moving my idle wheel out until it applies enough pressure to that blade to have that much tension on it. And I bought one of those fancy tension meter things you clamp to the blade, and as that blade stretches from the tension, it puts it on the little dial with a dial indicator. Mm-hmm. Um, which is funny because when I was learning how to like, use a bandsaw in the shop, like how to resaw, and someone's like, I bought this fancy resaw, this uh, tension meter. I'm like, I'm not going to buy one of those. It's crazy. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to spend that kind of money on a little tension meter. That's insane. Uh, but for this, uh, it's kind of it's kind of important, and there really isn't. It's not like a oh, you just tension it until like when you push on it with your thumb, it turns white. I yeah, yeah I don't think that's gonna be. Well, the stakes are <laughs> the stakes are a little higher at this point, don't you yeah, think? Just a bit. <laughs> so I want a little more scientific way of measuring the amount of force I need to apply to it. And keep in mind that eighteen thousand psi is that's a cross section of the blade. So the amount of force actually being applied to it is probably more only like maybe a thousand to two thousand pounds or so. Once I have my tension mechanism installed, it has a, a pressure gauge on the hydraulic ram. So I'll be able to calculate how much actual force, like pound force, is being applied to that band to kind of get an idea of the actual um, pound tension or, t- or pound force on that blade. Uh, the other thing is the blade guides on the bandsaw mill, they actually do a lot to keep that blade uh, perfectly aligned with the bed. So you don't have to worry about drift as much. Um, sometimes you'll see the blades maybe drift down. It uh, depends on the blade guide system you have. Mine has a lower jaw, so it's actually like on a bandsaw we have the blade completely uh, supported on both sides so it can't dip down away from the guide. So that's the other thing with that. And the blade guides on the bandsaw mills, they're typically set so they're actually applying force onto the blade or down. If you're looking at a horizontal bandsaw mill, it's pushing the blade down off the, the um, I guess, the tangential point of the wheels. So it actually has to be pressing onto the bearings. So, hmm. But I'm getting there. Hopefully this week I'll be playing with tensioning and calibrating. So I'll have more to say about that next week, maybe. Everything's going to be fine, Matt. Stop worrying. <laughs> oh, finally you say that. <laughs> It'll be fine. Trust me. I was, I've been waiting for you to like, say something good. I mean, yeah, here's what I do when, when there's something wrong with my bandsaw. I just get a new one. Right. So take it from there me. Take I'll it from me. Right on that. It's going to be fine. 
Okay, well, if you want to support the show, you can. We've got a couple different ways you could do it. Head to TWW Store and pick up a Wood Talk t-shirt. That's at TWWstore.com. Or you could set up a little recurring donation thingy using Patreon at Patreon.com slash Wood Talk. And in fact, if you're a $4 or higher patron, we will be discussing that email extra after this show. We're going to record that. And we're going to talk about protecting our clamps from glue. Nice little topic that everyone can uh, use, I think. Don't use them. Don't use them. That's a good way to do it. Just keep them on the wall. Uh, All right. iTunes reviews. You could also leave us a review there. Just look us up in the iTunes store. Click on ratings and reviews. Give us a five-star rating, preferably, if you're so kind. Uh, Let's see. Fun podcast from Mike Rochgrain. I like that. You get what he's trying to do? Mike (laughs) Rochgrain. I like it. You think he's trying to catch me? What a funny guy. But I noticed this time Mike Rochgrain. He says, I replaced listening to news radio with this podcast on my commute, and I have to say, I love how they keep politics out of the shop. The best, and to be honest, only podcast I listen to. Now, maybe we should talk about politics. I think that Shannon's a nasty girl. You get it? <laughs> I think wow. that's maybe, is it too too many weeks past for that to be relevant anymore? Um, all right, next one is from Trude111111. Best root and toot and woodworking show. Nobody keeps it realer. Love the contrast in a three different perspectives. Very down to earth dudes. You could have a cold one with a cold Dr. Pepper, a cold beer, mm. cold grape soda. What are we having? What kind of cold one? All of the above. I'd like to know. Okay, and Shannon? Mixed together. Oh. Cold day. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> all right, Shannon, give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. Okay. If you have stuff that you want to say to us about what you just heard, <clears throat> then you can you can talk to us. Mm-hmm. You can leave a voicemail on hey, Skype. What's up, everybody? <laughs> hey, hey, what's up? Uh, uh, talk to us on Skype. It's Wood Talk Online. That's what we're called there. Wood Talk Online. Uh, our voicemail line is 623-242-5180. We have a contact form that's awesome at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Totes. Or you can just go to woodtalkshow.com, watch watch this episode or listen to this episode, depending on whether or not you have that synesthesia thing where you like hear, you see colors when you hear sound. Never mind. <laughs> I'm um, confused. Yeah, that's it, basically. Just go to woodtalkshow.com <laughs> and, and say hi. And go to thewoodwhisperer.com and renaissancewoodworker.com and macromona.com and say hi there, too. All three of those places. Not just one or the other. you got to be equal opportunity and mm-hmm. say it at all. <laughs> that you do. Cool. All right. Well, I don't know if we should let Shannon ad lib that anymore. Maybe not. Maybe he he takes it off the rails too many times. <laughs> bit, I don't know. A bit much. He's got seniority here, so we have to let him. You know, have a little bit of leash. Uh, we all should, right. Well, thank you we for listening. Just have Vanderlis call in just to do that again because he never got it right the whole time. So. Well, I could just go back into an old show and take one of the clips out because otherwise it you know makes him do things and he doesn't like doing things anymore. So <laughs> very busy doing nothing. Uh, All right. Well, (laughs) thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.